Well, good morning and, uh, and lovely to see you all. Happy New Year to those of you who I haven't said it to in person yet. Let me just pop that there so I don't kick it. Great. Good. We paused our series going through the Book of Acts for Advent, which I'm sure you can forgive us. Uh, but this morning, we are picking it up again, starting the year as we mean to go on, with a wow story, an encouragement, and a challenge. If you can remember, we came into our series on the Book of Acts via a... Uh, a brief sojourn into the book of Joshua with some really interesting parallels between the two and a look at the similarities and the differences between Joshua's mission and ours. Like Joshua, we are bringing the kingdom of God into being in the land around us. Unlike Joshua, our battles are not against any armies or indeed any people and our bringing in of the kingdom of God, our mission, is by introducing the people in our land to the God who wants to be reconciled to them. Ours is the mission of being kingdom carriers into this dark world. So this morning, and for 2019, I want to challenge us to expect more from God, to step out more ourselves in bringing the kingdom into East Fife for the sake of God reuniting precious people to himself. I thought it'd be handy, seeing as we're returning to our series in Acts, to have a quick recap of where we've been in the book of Acts so far. So, previously in Acts. We started off in Acts 1, if you don't mind just skipping us on. Oh, not quite that far. Could we start from the very, very beginning? No, brilliant. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's a memory test then. Glory. In the very beginning, we had uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, and Jesus kicking us off with a conversation. When will the kingdom come in? Well, Jesus says, the end end is not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that was the mission. Acts 1, verses 9 to 11, we heard a fantastic talk about Jesus' ascension. Listen to David Moffat's talk of that on, uh, on our podcast on the website if you get a chance to. It's so important to our relationship with God now. Next, verses 12 to 26, uh, we looked at how the disciples operated in that waiting period where uh, they were faithfully pouring over their scriptures. Matthias was chosen to replace Judas. And then starting off, uh, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost the miracle of languages in festival-filled Jerusalem. God grabs the attention of the known world in an amazing explosion of one prayer meeting. Moving on, 14 to 36, Peter stands up and addresses the crowds who gather to come and see what's going on. And his sermon goes along the lines of, one, they're not drunk. Two, Prophet Joel told you this was going to happen. This is part of God's plan, actually. Three, the Holy Spirit is here, poured out for us. Four, this Holy Spirit and we testify to Jesus, the promised Messiah. Five, Jesus is both Messiah and God, in fact. And six, you killed him, now you need to turn to him. Such a good sermon, he was allowed six points. Acts 2, 37 to 41, tells us how 3,000 people turned to Jesus then and there. And we finished our, our series in Acts so far before Christmas with a look at that famous passage at the back end of Acts chapter 2, which is the community of the first church, how they live a radically devoted life to Jesus, how they were all in 
for this gospel. A life devoted to Jesus and to each other, in fact. And that they were seeing many signs and wonders being done amongst them, as Acts 2.43 says. So this morning, as we start off in Acts chapter 3, we're going to look at one of those signs and wonders. And now that we're up to date, um, I'm going to ask Katie to come and read this morning's passage to us. Would you be so kind, mate? I've even printed it here for you. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him, walking and praising God, and recognized him as as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Amen. Thank you, mate. I'll try not to trip you up with a wire as you leave. Brilliant. Can we go on one? So hopefully the beginning. Ray, Brilliant. Thank you, sir. What a gentleman. A miracle, then. A miracle. What a way to start the year. But, I confess, not an accidental start to the year. Because I would love to see God perform miracles this year, through us, friends. I would love to see God perform healings in and through Kingdom Vineyard, in and through God's faithful people in this town, in this region. I would love to see more of the Lord poured out and more of us delighted and amazed as he does fun things through us and amongst us. I want to see the people of East Fife astounded at the power of God, at the love of God, and delighted at coming to know him. I'll say a little more about this later, but with today's passage, we're setting the tone and setting the bearings for Kingdom Vineyard in 2019. So let's dig into this text in a little more depth. Verse one, Peter and John are heading to the temple to pray. So the ninth hour, 3 p.m., is reckoned to be the time of the evening sacrifices. So just like Jesus did, Peter and John are going to the temple to worship. In fact, just like the rest of the disciples in Acts 2, verse 46, it tells us that they carried on going to the temple. What I love is that this story happened on the way to church for these guys. They may even have missed their coffee and donuts at the 10, 10 a.m. start time. Not that any of you would do such a thing. But how easy is it to be so rushed and so pressured, even on the way to church, that By the time we're in that zone, in that lane, we actually don't have time in our hearts for a God-led encounter, even on the way to church. I'd love us, in our everyday life, Sunday morning or any day of the week, to make space in our hearts, to make space even in our schedules, which will require more discipline than I'm currently operating in. But I encourage us all to step there, to build in time for God encounters. 
I reckon some of this stuff will happen supernaturally when we make space for it naturally. Verse 2. This gentleman was laid daily at the gate to the temple to beg. So that means that he was well known to everyone who passes by, which is confirmed in verse 10 later on. In fact, he would have been well known to Peter and John as well. For us, how much more nerve-wracking is it to pray for healing for someone who we know? Or worse, who we half know? For our British embarrassment at recognizing people who aren't quite yet friends, but we know them enough to sort of nod and smile at them. You've passed that initial friendly stranger phase and have moved into the nodding acquaintance phase, but you actually don't have anything to talk about with them yet. Breaking out of that established social order, offering to pray for someone, well, that takes some very un-British guts indeed. But that's what they did. It turns out that the good news of Jesus is even for those who it's awkward to talk to. Verse 3. This gentleman sees Peter and John and he asks them for money. Well, so far so normal. Verse 4. Peter and John decide that healing is on and they make contact with the guy. I want to be on the level with you. In fact, I intend to be really honest with you this morning. I've only a little experience with this healing stuff. I've seen it, I've received it. I've been someone who, surprised at the success of my own prayer, has prayed for someone and seen them healed. So I know God does this stuff, but I certainly wouldn't call myself an expert. So I chatted to a friend of mine who's been serving with a church as a street evangelist, and part of his street evangelism has included some pretty exciting healings. So he's experienced several encounters not dissimilar to this one, so I called him up and said, um, just talk me through this passage. From your perspective, what have you seen that, that looks a bit like it? For me, I've usually held to the position, to the belief that if we're super close to God, we'll be hearing his promptings of when he's up for speaking to someone or healing them. And I have experienced God working like that. I think It's available for all of us to be walking closely with the Lord, sensitive to his voice, sensitive to his nudges, and him leading us into encounters like this. But I've also had some experience of prayerfully going for it, of seeing a situation and thinking, I'd love God to heal this person, and taking a step forward, trusting that God's generally on a mission, rather than having a specific prompt for that situation. And I've seen God step in just behind me, which I do not mean at all to sound disrespectful to the Lord, because I think he wanted me to go first. He's just backing me up. So that he can bring healing to that person that I'm praying for in a way that blows both of us away. In that situation, God seemed to want me to step out first, even expecting and hoping for a supernatural event, not just a successful conversation. He wanted me to take the first step before that I, w- I was sure that he was coming to. What I'm learning, and I confess with you that I'm on this journey of working out how God wants to operate too. What I'm learning is that just as we teach that people offering prayer ministry should pray with their eyes open, using our natural senses as well as listening to the Lord supernaturally, the two go together. The Lord seems to want us to take opportunities that come from natural prompts 
as well as supernatural prompts. Yes, he wants us to be sensitive enough to him that when we walk down the street and the Lord says, psst, that guy, go and ask him about his sister's health. I want that. I'll continue to seek that sensitivity and those nudges for myself, and I encourage you to as well. But I think that the Lord also wants to see, or wants us to see, that when someone needs a chat or some prayer, that's an opportunity from him. Alan Scott, who was until recently the pastor of the Causeway Coast Vineyard with his wife Catherine, uh, likens this to maturity and taking the bins out. When you're younger, you need to be encouraged and reminded to do your chores, to take the bins out. You need to be nudged and led into doing that. When you get older, when you have more responsibilities, actually, maturity is recognizing that the job just needs doing and getting on with it. I really like how every day this comparison is. I even think that tells us something in itself about how we're to see serving the Lord and ministering. My friend who has some great fun experiences of God encountering people with words of knowledge and many supernatural healings, this within the last few weeks and months, tells me that his experience is both and. The supernatural nudges and the natural noticing And in fact, he's finding more and more that the Lord wants him to take the stepping out opportunities himself. The Lord wants to grow his maturity in recognizing that a job needs done. So step out and have a bash. I'm up for seeing more of this. I'm keen to learn. And I'm keen for all of us to learn and to see more of God at work around us, bringing his kingdom into people's lives, blowing our minds and showing us how much he loves the people in this hurting world. Back to the passage, and in verse five, the beggar is still expecting stuff. No, it's good, you're right, back one. Thank you kindly. Uh, Verse five, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. The beggar is still expecting stuff. Verse six, however, has Peter's response. I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. There's a couple of things I want to say about Peter's response here. Firstly, that he didn't need stuff in order to help this guy. And secondly, that he had all he needed. So firstly, Peter didn't need stuff because he knew that God was able to heal this man. Don't get me wrong, I am massively grateful for all the things that bless me when I'm not feeling well. Praise the Lord for Lemsip, though you won't find me saying that when I'm drinking it. I am massively grateful for the ability to buy medicine. I'm even more grateful for our NHS, for all the things that can help us to get well. They are good things. My question is, have we allowed those good things to weaken our dependency on God? our expectation that he can heal. What I mean is this, and I want to be very clear, God has given us both the gift of medicine and the gift of healing people in his supernatural power. I'm not suggesting that we reach for prayer instead of lemsip. I'm saying you've got two arms. I think that we face a problem when we fail to hold on to both types of healing seriously together. If we pray fervently for God to heal an illness, but we don't seek medical advice, or worse, we stop taking medication, then 
we are in danger of making ourselves worse, rejecting his healing through medicine whilst we're praying for it. In prayer ministry, we will never, never tell someone to stop taking their medicine without a doctor's approval. And if someone gets healed through prayer, brilliant, go and check it with a doctor and get that miracle verified. But the other problem, when we praise God for medicine, but don't really trust that he's up for healing anyone anymore, which I think is where we are more often, I think that robs us of the opportunity to experience God's power and love and to share that power and that love that demonstrate God's kingdom rolling out across this world. I think we need to praise God for and pray for his healing through medicine and through miracles, both and. One of the fathers of the worldwide church and legend of the faith, Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo, trained in his ministry in a way that taught him not to pray for healing. The view around him was that miracles had belonged to an age that came to an end shortly after Jesus' life on earth. Miracles are still possible, of course, but one shouldn't expect them. The thing is, Augustine then witnessed up close some miraculous healing, in fact, which famously interrupted his Easter sermon in 426 AD, which is an interruption I would welcome. Thanks very much. If you get healed whilst I'm talking, stand up and tell me it would be great. In fact, I would write that down. I would dine off that for years. <laughs> yeah, I was preaching this time and someone stood up and said, I've been healed. That's how holy I... Anyway, Augustine's view changed. He wrote, I realized how many miracles were occurring in our own day and which were so like the miracles of old and also how wrong it would be to allow the memory of these marvels of divine power to perish from among our people. It's only two years ago that the keeping of records was begun here in Hippo, and already, at this writing, we have nearly 70 attested miracles. I love that. I see nothing in the Bible that tells me that God planned to stop the ministry of his Holy Spirit. And I am persuaded by nothing that is written in theology since the Bible that argues that God has stopped pouring out his Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have felt a lot that persuades me that God is still pouring out his Holy Spirit today, even healing. So my prayer is more, Lord. More, bring in more of your kingdom for your sake and so that we can enjoy more people being released and blessed by you. So, what approach should we take? Well, when I am ill, I will go to the doctor, as I would encourage any of us to. But I will also ask for prayer from my friends who are filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit as much as I can myself, to give as many opportunities for us all to be. And I'll encourage all of us to be as closely united to God as possible, as devoted to him as we can be, so that we are sensitive to his leading and as sensitive as possible. And that our expectation grows more and more as we see more evidence that God is up for pouring out his presence today. Believe it or not, that was one point on Peter's sermon. There's a second I want to make this morning. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
walk. The point is this, Peter and John had authority. They knew that the name of Jesus and the authority that his name has and the authority that Jesus himself gave to his disciples meant that they could command that this healing took place. And I want to confess with you another area that I'm still growing in, friends. For me, I'm used to going into situations, inviting God into them, and seeing him heal people. I've been blessed to experience enough of that that I'm confident they weren't one-offs and mind tricks. I've seen it happen. I've seen God do it. And my prayer in those situations has been, come Holy Spirit and heal this person. And I've seen God answer that prayer to my and the other person's amazement and delight. I'm comfortable with petition for healing. I'm less comfortable with command. Personally, I have less experience in taking authority over a situation myself, in taking the authority that Jesus has given to his people and trusting in that authority and commanding healing. Don't get me wrong, I believe it. I just haven't seen much of it. So, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Peter says, what I have, I give to you, you'll notice that Peter doesn't then say, I have the ability to ask Jesus to heal you, come Holy Spirit. There's nothing in the text here that even tells us that Peter and John pause to check in with Jesus. They act with a bold confidence that Jesus is up for this, that they're operating well within the authority that he's delegated to him, to them rather, and they go right ahead. Peter says, what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Peter has the delegated authority of Jesus through his name to bring in the kingdom of God in that situation. Peter doesn't need any more stuff. He doesn't even need any more skills. He doesn't need any training conferences, although time out, to be fair, he was trained by Jesus firsthand, so he's got a bit of an advantage over me there. But he knows Peter knows he has everything he needs, and he gets on with it. I find this terrifyingly inspirational because I believe that this is for us as well. I want to be really honest with you this morning and tell you this way of operating with God's kingdom is a gear change for me. But again, I want to learn more about what God's up for, to take more opportunities to get stuck in with him to join God in stepping forward and bringing his kingdom in in these ways. And I invite you to join me on this adventure. I think it's going to be fun. So uh, should we give it a bash? Let's have a look at verse 7. He took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Peter's command rang out. The healing was pronounced. Then what? Can you imagine the tension, even the doubt, when nothing seems to happen between Peter's words and this guy getting up? The beggar looked the same. His feet look the same. Surely it didn't work, people are thinking. It takes Peter reaching out his right arm, 
or left, it doesn't specify. He reaches out his arm, don't read that sort of stuff into the text. He reaches out his arm, picks up the lame beggar, and lifts him to his feet. And it's at that moment that his, arm, his ankles were made strong. Honestly, I think that this is a lesson in faith, in trusting God that Peter teaches us here. By continuing to believe that God can and will heal the beggar, even after a bold pronouncement and nothing immediately visibly happening. So I got to this point and I scratched my head. And again, I called my street evangelist mate who has seen a few people healed and, uh, and also then come to know Jesus as he's healed them. I called him and I said, uh, Oi, mate, this verse, what do you reckon? His experience was that the moment of healing often actually comes in the physical step after the command. The bit where when we've prayed for someone's back, we then say, why not test it a little? The step that we do anyway is part of our prayer ministry, week in, week out. His experience was that often when he commanded healing in Jesus' name, the person didn't usually jump up on the spot shouting I'm healed and do laps of the park, but it took some physical step to follow that command, still having faith that God was on the case before the healing became obvious. I want to grow in this, and I want us all to grow in this. I want Kingdom Vineyard and the faithful Christians of this town and this region to be a powerful force for loving transformation in this area, for God's kingdom to come around us more and more as you, yes you, see God healed through your prayers, your Jesus-given authority that brings God's presence into a place. I am expecting some pretty exciting pouring out of God's kingdom in East Fife in 2019. But we're part of that. We're to be practitioners of God's kingdom, not passengers in it. So I'm expecting it, but it's going to take some opting in. The results of this miracle on the lame beggar were phenomenal. Not only did he leap up, standing strong and walking, he was then praising God and entering the temple, entering the temple, not sitting begging at the gate of it. What's notable here, I suggest, in verses 8 to 10, is not just the miraculous healing, but the transformation of why this guy went to the temple. From begging from other worshippers to himself praising God showing everyone around him God's goodness and power, just to take a really obvious example. What if everyone who came to Storehouse, what if everyone who we blessed as we walked past them on the street went from going, that person's nice, they gave me a coffee, or that person's nice, I got a bag of food, to I met the God that they worship. Wouldn't that be amazing? And it's not inconceivable. I want people to be showing everyone around them God's goodness and power. And I want to take a moment to add some perspective to what I've been saying. I want God to use Kingdom Vineyard, to use each of us and all of us to bring miracles into St. Andrews and East Fife. But the reason why I want this, the reason I've been banging on about it this morning, isn't just so that we can get excited about God's power being shown. It's because I want to see lives transformed and people coming to know Jesus. I want people to discover that there is a God and that he loves them. I want to be excited 
and delighted at people meeting Jesus and giving their whole lives to him. This beggar had a miraculous physical healing, and that's brilliant. But his relationship with God was transformed, and honestly, I think that's better. Eternally, it carries a lot more weight. I want us to see miracles this year, frankly. I want to see healings. And more importantly, I want to see people come to know Jesus and have their whole lives completely changed, blessed, and yes, healed by him. In verses 9 and 10, all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. If the effect of this miracle on the beggar was to have him physically healed and his whole being blessed and transformed by an encounter with the Holy Spirit through a disciple bringing power in the name of Jesus, that's where we step in, then the effect on the people who recognized this man, the crowds who had passed him every day, was to be filled with wonder and amazement and to take seriously the God that this man is praising. God got some pretty awesome glory that day. God got the attention of a load of people who heard about Jesus and were able to put their trust in him and enter a new and powerful relationship with God. Like I say, I want more miracles, but I want more people to know Jesus. Without stealing from Jesse, who'll be bringing the next part of Acts chapter 3 for us in a couple of weeks' time, this miracle gives Peter and John the chance to share with the crowd that Jesus is the promised saviour, is in fact God, and gives them a chance to pray, to come to know Jesus as their own saviour, to have this loving relationship for themselves. Which fits the pattern I talked about in a previous bit of Acts that I think stands well as a model for us sharing Jesus with the people around us. Be a simple witness to what God has done in your life. Tell them who Jesus is and give them a chance to meet Jesus themselves. Being a simple witness gets you out of arguments. You just say, ah, this is what I've seen God do. Tell them who Jesus is. Give them a chance to meet him. Thirdly, giving them that chance to meet them means that we're not hoodwinking anyone, but we're introducing people into the relationship they were made for. Peter and John showed the crowd the beggar, beggar formerly known as lame, and showed the story of a real-life witness to God's power. They told the truth about Jesus, and they then gave the crowd a chance to meet Jesus for themselves. I'd love for each of us to be doing this ourselves more and more. Friends, you know this, but the people around you need to know. The people in your street need to know. The people in your workplace need to know. There is a God, and he's so good, so kind. And most of the people out there don't know him. And I'm convinced, I'm convicted that he wants to know them. And he's chosen us to be his message carriers, more than that, his kingdom carriers, so that we can take him into situations, introduce people to him properly ourselves. I find that challenge very exciting. So to wrap up our reopening of Acts this morning, 
I want to see more of God's kingdom coming in East Fife in 2019 through healings, through miracles, through God's power, but not for power's sake, for God's glory, for his ministry of reconciliation, for God's delight in his precious children getting reunited to him. I want us to be filled with a compassionate desire to see our towns and villages reunited to Jesus, to see people coming to know him. Miracles, healing, and God's amazing power are part of this, and a wonderful part of this. But this is the point, people meeting Jesus. When these miracles come, I don't believe that God is just showing off. I think he's on a mission of love. And it's not my intention that any of us, or even Kingdom Vineyard as a church, seek to show off, even if we claim we're showing God off. I do want this for every church, for every Christian in our area. My great desire is that we see more of God's kingdom come this year because we who carry his kingdom carry his love for the people that we meet. And that those in turn meet the God who loves them and comes after them even through us. Why don't you stand? I would love to pray for you.